All right, well, this is a wonderful, wonderful day. It is Palm Sunday. It is the day that we remember Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says that as Jesus prepared to head to Jerusalem, that he set out resolutely for the city. That's the NLT translation. The NRSV and some others say that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. I love that so much. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't walking around with his head in his phone saying, yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Yep, 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 got it. No, that wasn't happening. Jesus wasn't looking this way while he was walking this way. We've all done that with terrible consequences, right? Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus was single-mindedly on a mission to the city of Jerusalem. Because Jesus understood what no one else did, that this trip to Jerusalem ended with him on a cross. And I can imagine it took a little bit of settling of the mind and the body and the spirit in Jesus' humanity to make that trip to Jerusalem. Being wishy-washy was not going to do for this type of a situation. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey of all things. Right? He enters the city and the people put down their cloaks. They cut down the palm branches and they lay them on the ground or they wave them in the air and they shout, Hosanna, praise to the son of David. And they welcomed him just as they would welcome a conquering hero, which of course Jesus was, but not at all the kind of hero that the people expected. And there were a lot of people in Jerusalem there were a lot of people in Jerusalem that weekend, that Sunday, because they were there to celebrate Passover. And so for first century Jewish people, Passover was like it. It was the holiday. It was Christmas. It was Easter. It was Fourth of July. It was the NCAA basketball tournament all wrapped into one big thing. <laughs> Got some enthusiasm. That's awesome. Uh, it, was, it was huge. It was everything. It had cultural, religious, and national overtones for Jewish people because it brought to mind how God had intervened powerfully for them, how God had seen their situation and God broke through and moved on their behalf. They had been slaves in Egypt. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament here as we get started this morning because the truth of the matter is that the events of Palm Sunday, the events of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and even Easter Sunday, those events really only make sense if we understand how the God who created everything has been moving throughout history to one conclusion. Because if we're not careful, we can get the idea that, well, it was just, just what happened, that these events of Palm Sunday, of Holy Week, of Easter, I mean, they were going to happen sooner or later. It just kind of happened. It was just kind of, you know, like two kids in the spring break getting in trouble. I'm bored. What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm bored. What do you want to do? It wasn't like that at all. It was very intentional, and it started way back at the beginning of time and creation. So, we remember that God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And Genesis, I told you we were going back, Genesis chapter 37 through 50 tell the story of how God's people ended up in Egypt. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob had 12 sons, 
And one of those sons was unapologetically his favorite. It was Joseph. Joseph's up there on the screen, uh, lower your left. Looks a lot like Donny Osmond. I don't know. <laughs> but the amazing Technicolor dream coat Joseph and the Joseph of Genesis are the same guy. Who knew? So they are the same guy. Um, Joseph had some ups and downs. If you read about Joseph's life, as soon as something started going well for him, then something bad happened. And then as soon as he kind of recovered from that and something good happened for Joseph, then something bad happened. He was the favorite son. He got that awesome coat. Brothers threw him in the well. Instead of killing him, they sent him into, they sold him. He ended up in Egypt. He ended up in a really cool guy's house, but then the wife told a lie about him. He ended up in jail. 37 through 50 of Genesis tells the whole story of Joseph. I would like to go into it more, but I have decided to keep my sermon PG, and I can't do that if I'm going to tell you the whole story in Genesis 37 through 50, so you can check it out on your own if you are interested. Um, so by the end of Genesis, Joseph has ended up in Egypt. He has actually risen to second in command under Pharaoh. As it turns out, God has been with Joseph this whole time. God has been with the highs and the lows that Joseph has experienced, and God has used every single one of these situations for good. And so what's ended up happening is there's a huge famine in the land, and it's widespread. It spreads through Egypt. It spreads through Canaan, where Joseph's brothers and all of their families are living. And so the brothers end up in Egypt. And because Joseph can see that God's hand has been in all of this, Joseph forgives his brothers, and the whole family ends up living then in Egypt. They are rescued from the famine. And by the time we leave Genesis, the Bible says there's about 70 or so family members, Israelites, living in Egypt. Now we flip the page and we get to the book of Exodus. And a bunch of time has passed. And the Bible doesn't tell us how much. It does tell us, though, that now there are hundreds of thousands of Israelites. So they have been successful in one thing, if nothing else. And that has been making more Israelites. Unfortunately, Pharaoh is nervous by all of them, and he puts them into slavery. And so at the beginning of Exodus, God's people have been crying out to him, do you see us, God? How long? How long until you rescue us from our condition, God? And God is hearing their cries. And so God raised up a man named Moses. He sends Moses. Moses looks a lot like Charlton Heston. So he sends Moses, and uh, there, there's nine plagues, right? And the first nine are pretty devastating and pretty serious, but they aren't enough for Pharaoh to be impressed. So it's by the time that God is ready to send the tenth plague onto Egypt, and that's the plague of the firstborn sons, the death of the firstborn sons, and that's what ultimately gets Pharaoh's attention. And the Israelites were rescued then from this plague because of some instructions that God gave to them. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 12, if you have your Bibles and if you want to turn there. Um, Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 uh, through 27, because God gave Moses these instructions, and they were not one, a one-time deal. Uh, they were meant to be remembered. God said this to Moses, and Moses responded. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, go and pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. 
Then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop across the top and sides of the door frames of your homes so that and no one may go through the door until morning. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the tops and sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Verse 24, remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. And then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. This was a big deal. This was God showing up for his people. This was God hearing his people in distress and saying, I will move, because God understood and it was his plan all along that the people would not be able to get themselves out of this condition of slavery. They could not do this on their own. They needed their Lord, God, Yahweh. They needed God to intervene and take care of this for them. And so many times we get this idea that the Old Testament is about the rules and the things we have to do and God being all judgy and this is an angry God. And that's the Old Testament. And then the New Testament is Jesus and it's love and it's grace and it's so wonderful. And it's a terrible mistake to make those broad assumptions about the two different books of the Bible because when we read the Old Testament and we understand that throughout it we see God intervening, God moving powerfully, God from the beginning of time having a plan to connect the people that he created and loved so much back to him through his son. That has been God's plan from the beginning of time. So there's not two versions of God. There's one God who is love from the beginning. But even as the people had been rescued from slavery, even as they had just seen God intervene powerfully on their behalf, it wasn't very long after that, just a short amount of time, days, weeks, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and the covenant that God has made with Abraham God is renewing that covenant with Moses. And even as all of this is being done, even as, God, as Moses is up on the mountaintop with God, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they're collecting their jewelry and their rings and their things made out of gold so that they can melt them down so that they can make themselves a gold statue because they so easily fall back into what they're comfortable with, right? Um, even though... There's no way they could have rescued themselves on their own, that God had acted powerfully for them. Even though all of that was true and all of that had happened, they fell back into their old ways. And then they spent the next couple thousand years saying, God, thanks, but no thanks. We got this. We got this. You've got us out of you know, slavery. You got us into our land. Thanks a lot. We're good. Check you later. Let you know when something's bugging me, right? But that's not the way it works. God had made a covenant with Abraham. God had told Abraham that he was going to be their God. He had called him out of the desert. And God had even taken all of the responsibility for that covenant onto himself. It wasn't like, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do this. If you keep this end of the deal, 
I'll keep my end of the deal. We like to think of it that way, but that's not how it was at all. God had taken full responsibility for the entire covenant. So when God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a nation and you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky, are you in? Abraham said, okay, sounds like a pretty good deal. You're going to do it all, right? And God said, yeah. Yeah, I am. Now, there were things that God asked Abraham to do, but those were outward symbols of the covenant that Abraham had made with God. They were not preconditions. They were not requirements. And so even as God's people were out doing whatever they wanted to do and turning their backs on God, God remembered and knew and was bound and determined to keep this covenant with his people. Just because his people were walking away and just because his people said, thanks, but no thanks, God didn't say, okay, fine, I changed my mind. No, not at all. Not at all. And so as other nations began to conquer the Israelites because the Israelites had turned their back on God, and it wasn't that God forgot, God had a second part of the plan, but he did allow them to experience the consequences of their actions. And so even as they were conquered by other nations, then God began the process of putting in the next step of his plan. It's important that we don't think that this was a, well, that plan didn't work. Now I need to do something else. God wasn't wringing his hands saying, oh no, what will I do? This was part of the plan from the very beginning. And he began to reveal this to the prophets. And the prophets began to talk then about one who would come, a Messiah, and that this Messiah would be from the throne of David and would restore everyone, God's people, into community with God. Again, it wasn't plan B. It was the same plan that God had been working on from creation. And it was time then, with the birth of Jesus, to begin putting the plan into motion. And so, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey just a few days leading up to Passover, this man who rode in on this donkey, this man had been with God from the beginning. This man knew the whole story. This man had been present in creation, had been present when God called Abraham, had been present when Moses led the Israelites out of slavery, had been present through all of the trials that Israel had gone through. This man knew the whole story, and this man was evidence that God had broken through again. And that God was about to pull off an intervention unlike anything that anyone had ever experienced before. What Jesus was about to do on the cross, what he was actually going to accomplish was going to make what happened in Egypt look like small potatoes. What Jesus was about to do was to take all of this plan, all of this plan of God's from the beginning of time, and he was going to get it done. He was going to be the reason that we could be in community with our Heavenly Father. Jesus riding in on this donkey, leading to his death and resurrection. This was everything. Now, the people knew that it was time for something. They had liked to equate the Roman government to Pharaoh, really, um, because the Roman government didn't treat God's people especially well. And so when Jesus came into town and the people shouted, 
Hosanna. The NLT, your NLT Bible will translate that as uh, praise God for the son of David. And if you look, your Bible probably has a star there, and it sends you to Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26. And Psalm 18, verse 25 says, please, Lord, please save us. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So the people, as they saw Jesus walking into town, were crying out, please, Lord, please save us. And they were thinking and hoping that maybe this was the guy. Maybe this was the the guy who had come to get this done, to overthrow the government, to restore God's people back to their nation. They couldn't think of it in any other way because this psalm also called to mind King David right? King David, who had been a conquering, military, mighty king, who had been blessed by God. And so this was their only only frame of reference, really. They were hoping that Jesus would uh, take a trick or a page out of Moses' leadership book or uh, pull some tricks from David's and, uh, and just start conquering and just start getting things done. The people really believed and hoped that Jesus was going to be a leader the way that they thought he should be, that he should lead them the way they expected him to, the way Moses and David, King David had. So I can only imagine what their thoughts were when Jesus got off the donkey. I imagine they thought that he was going to go to King Herod and ask for an audience and let Herod know kind of how Moses had done, just exactly whose people Herod had been messing with. But almost just the opposite. Jesus gets off the donkey and he goes to the temple and he throws out the money changers. He throws out the symbols of their uh, religion, their very strict legalistic rules about the things they had to do and the sacrifices and the atoning um, things that they had to do. Jesus went and turned all of that, threw it all out, and said that they had turned his temple into a den of thieves of all things. Didn't he know how rotten Herod was? Didn't he know who the real bad guy was? But that's not all. Jesus throws them out, and then the sick and the lame, the least of these, flood into the temple so that Jesus can heal them. This is not what, he's done that before. He's shown off what he can do, that's fine. But now it's time to really show Herod what can be done. Even the children were in the temple, and they were shouting, praise God for the Son of God of David. As the next few days play out then, it's obvious, becomes very obvious to the people in Jerusalem that the one that they thought was coming into town to start a fight was actually only going to pick a fight with the religious leaders. And so when we think about it that way, we can understand how shouts on Sunday of Hosanna, praise be to the son of David, how that turns so quickly on Friday to crucify him. Crucify him. They didn't get what they thought they were going to get, and they didn't like it. But what we know is that the promise of Holy Week is that it ends with joy and with hope and with celebration because during Holy Week, we are reminded in no uncertain terms that the God of eternity has broken through to rescue us, not because God had to, but out of passionate love for the world and the people he created. And if we're not careful... We can easily lose sight of the hope because we can look around us and we can see all of the things that are not right. Those things are easy to see. And it's easy for us to question and say, God, what are you going to do about it? God, when are you going to do something about this? 
This is why it's so important to know the whole story. Because when we know the whole story, we understand and we know the very character of God. And we can trust that God is not just ignoring the things that are wrong, that he's not looking on that and has God's face and God's phone. I don't even know what that would look like. But we can know that God is moving. God is intervening. God is acting powerfully on your behalf, on my behalf, on the behalf of all of us because he loves us and because God wants to. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you and me on the cross because God is active and God is moving and God is mighty. Uh, one of the things that I love about this community, about the Des Moines community, is that you guys know that God moves. You guys have experienced God moving in you. You've experienced restoration. You've experienced healing. You've experienced God show, showing up in your life in ways that you could never have imagined were even possible until, until you experienced it. And then you experience that and you feel that, and you know, I got to go tell others. I got to go tell other people about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for me and what it's meant to me. So not only are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in you, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you to reach others. You understand that Jesus had something bigger in mind when he entered the city of Jerusalem because you understand that Jesus has something bigger in mind for each one of you. And that is so awesome. Um, I'm going to invite Pastor John up here and we're going to um, just chat a little bit about some of the things that are going to be coming up here the next few months in this community because God wants to continue to move in us and through us. And uh, as your pastors, we want to be able to walk alongside you with that. So here's John and we're going to talk about that just a little bit more. All right. It's Palm Sunday. I couldn't stay off the stage. I, I had to get in on <laughs> I had to get on the fun. You know, when Amanda's talking about this mission that Jesus has been on, here's, here's one of the most amazing parts. Not only is it incredible what God has done, now it's our turn. He invites us into it. And like Amanda said, that's what we love about you. You are an incredible church. And we probably don't say it often enough because we're running around like crazy. We love you. And it's an honor to be your pastors. It's an honor to be your leaders. I'm, I'm sitting in the back today as those of you that are sitting outside of the women's restroom. We apologize for that. Uh, but hey, what's up? Yeah. But you know what? We don't apologize for it because it's what we're called to do, to, to not stop inviting. You are an incredible, incredible church. And the thing is that you get the mission. The reason we go through all this history, the reason we talk about this is because you're a part of it. It's your story. The reason you're sitting here right now is because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself. We didn't come up with Palm Sunday this past, weekend, this past week and say, hey, we should have a party and wave palm branches. This is deeply rooted in history. And not only do we look back, but we also look forward. It is going to be an incredible next few months. It starts next weekend with Easter, but even beyond that, we're going to have a party in the parking lot this summer. We're going to invite the entire city. We're going to have an art show here in the building. We're going to package hundreds and thousands of meals right where you're sitting right now in May during another meal packaging uh, event. We're going to have vacation Bible school right here. We're going to have more classes and more small groups than we've ever had. God is on the move, and he's doing amazing things, and we're not going to slow down 
one bit. Easter is just the catalyst for that. But we also want to be communicating with you about what's going on with us personally as well. And so uh, in the next few months, I'm excited about something that God's doing uh, in my life. Uh, hello. In my life uh, personally as well. And so uh, Pastor Mike is our senior pastor, and he's going to share a little bit uh, of information with you about something that I'm going to be up to over the next few months. Let's take a look. Hi, everybody at Lutheran Church Hope, Des Moines. It's Pastor Mike. One of the great things about being a pastor at Hope is we are in a church at all of our campuses where you take such good care of us as your pastors and pastors' families, and we truly appreciate that. One of the traditions that was established early on at Hope was pastors have an opportunity to take a sabbatical every seven years. A sabbatical is a time set apart, usually three months, uh, where pastors have a set-apart time where they can uh, study, renew, and rest and come back with batteries fully charged. It's been a great blessing to me and to all of the pastors who've been around Hope for more than seven years. We follow the biblical model of on the seventh day of creation, God uh, rested and calls us to rest and have a Sabbath too. So that's why every seven years, pastors have this opportunity to take a three-month sabbatical. Pastor John Anenson, your fearless and faithful campus pastor, is past due for one of these sabbaticals. And so he'll be taking that starting shortly after Easter, uh, much deserved. And I'm very happy for him and for his whole family that this is coming his way. Uh, while he's gone, uh, Amanda Neppel, who you are truly blessed to have on your pastoral team, your pastoral intern, will be stepping up into the leadership role for three months until Pastor John and Tiffany and his family get back. It'll be a great experience for Amanda, I'm sure, and a great experience for you as a congregation, too, to support her uh, in her ministry as your pastor during this time. Uh, so thank you for being the kind of church that allows your pastors to have these opportunities to rest, to recharge, to renew. Uh, during this time while Pastor John is away, please don't stop doing what you do. Continue to be the church. Continue to worship faithfully. Continue to serve and to participate in mission and to connect with one another as the body of Christ. Continue to be Lutheran Church of Hope Des Moines, a shining light into the world around you. Uh, thanks for uh, who you are and for your partnership in the gospel. It's really good to be one church in multiple locations. God bless you all. Yeah, so there you go. Um, Um, yeah, so I thought this was going to be fun. Uh, um, I love this church, <laughs> and I probably spend way too much time in this building than I should, because um, there's always something happening. And um, for the past eight years, this has kind of just been my life. And I, I hope that I have poured every ounce that I have uh, into being faithful to what God has called us to do here. Uh, but at the same time, we're also called to be obedient to rest as well. Um, as Mike said, Sabbath is just kind of a fancy church word for rest. And so for me, from about the middle of April to about the end of June, um, I'm going to be resting. I'm going to be spending time with God. I'm going to be getting my tank uh, refueled and, and filled up, doing some traveling, going to some other churches, meeting with some other leaders around the country that are doing similar things that we are, uh, being encouraged by them. And um, so this is going from announcement. I'm going to preach at you a little bit here because that's what I do. Um, God calls us to do three things and to do them really well and to keep them in priority. It's our faith, 
our relationship with him, our family, and then to find fulfilling work. And if you can do those three things, you're going to have a pretty fulfilling life. But what happens so often is that we get that turned upside down on its head. And maybe I'm not the only one that struggles with this sometimes. So it goes faith, family, and then fulfilling work. And that is in order of priority. A lot of times it's, I'm going to pour myself into my work, try to make some time for my family, and then, oops, I'm too busy. I forgot about my relationship with God. And that's what this is about for me, uh, to continue to make that a priority in my life uh, as well. When I started here, I was a 25-year-old punk kid who had no idea what I'm doing. Uh, No idea what I was doing. And now I'm a 33-year-old punk kid that has no idea what I'm doing. So... um, (laughs) But thanks for being along for the ride with me. It's, it's been great. Uh, with a wife and two kids, life has changed. And uh, after my relationship with God, they are my number one priority. And I love them so much. And that's why doing this. I, we've stood up here and, and talked to you so many times about you need to rest. You need to take a Sabbath. You need to take care of yourself. You need to slow down. You need to get your tank refueled. As leaders, we're called to walk the talk. And if we're not doing that as your leaders, then why would I have the right to stand up here and challenge you to do that? So that's what I'm going to be doing. And to honor the gift that the church, that you all are giving me, uh, I'm going to unplug. So uh, don't call me. Uh, Don't email me. You can, but you're not going to get a response uh, uh, from that. So I'm just going to unplug in that sense. And honestly, I will tell you, uh, Amanda and I were arm wrestling this week because she's going to give this amazing sermon and then somehow I'm supposed to make this announcement and it has nothing to do with Palm Sunday. Uh, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to stand up here and make it about me because um, it's not. If this church was about me or Amanda or Jed or any one of our leaders that you see up front here, if it was about us, this thing would have been over a long time ago. We would not be sitting here today. It is not about a leader it is not about a style of music. It is not about a building, any of those things. Somebody asked me once when we moved in, about a year ago, when we moved into this building, and we were growing like crazy, and we continue to grow like crazy. Somebody asked me, John, what's your biggest fear about moving from the school where we're setting up and tearing down every week? And I said, I, I don't believe it's going to happen, but the thing I fear the most is that someday that we would lose our focus on what it means to be the church that somehow people would get it twisted in their minds that they would come here to hear somebody, a certain person, preach. That we would somehow get it twisted in our minds that we should come to a church because of a certain style of music or because it's convenient or because it happens to be close to you or because the donut holes are so good or whatever it is, that we would lose our focus, but you haven't. And that's what we love about you as a church that it's not about us, it's not about who's up here preaching, it's not about any of that. You're here because you believe in the mission, and the mission is worth giving everything to. Not in season, out of season, but all the time. We don't take the summer off, you'll notice. There's no sign out in front of our building that says we're closed for the summer. Like, we keep going. God's on the move, and like I said, the next three months are going to be incredible. And so it has always been about Jesus. It's always been about being the church, and letting you do what God has called you to do. I'm watching the games. I like basketball a little bit. I don't know if you know that. I've watched a little bit of basketball over the last few days, and you know what I notice? By this point in the season, the coaches are just kind of over there watching. Have you noticed? They let the players play. I love the games when the refs don't call out of fouls, and they let the players play the game because that's what they're called to do. And by this point in the season, they don't need somebody saying, do this, do that, whatever it is. They're just called to play the game, and that's what you're called to do. You are called to be 
the church. That's what we've said every single week for the last eight years. This isn't about coming to a building one day a week. That's a tiny, tiny part of it. You are called to be the church Monday through Saturday, every single day of the week, no matter where you are. And so our job as your coaches is to let you do what God's called you to do, to be the church 24-7, to play the game. Let the players play. And that's what we're going to do over the next three months. And I'm actually really excited. I'm actually expecting that we will continue to grow. I can't wait to come back and to see hundreds of people here that I have no idea who they are. Because you continue to invite and invite and invite. You continue to invite. You continue to be the church. So while I'm gone, like Mike said, Amanda is going to be your go-to pastoral leader. And we are so blessed, and I think you would agree with me, and honored to have Amanda on our staff here. Can we just give God praise for her and God, what God's done through her as well? Um, she does an incredible job, and so during this time, you're also going to see other pastors from our other campuses coming and preaching here as well, and I'm excited for you to hear from them as well. Um, it's great to work together, and Amanda does an incredible job. We have an incredible staff. We've never had a healthier staff. For the first couple years of this church, it was me, uh, and I would set up everything, and I would have to change my shirt because I was sweating before worship started. Uh, and now there are 11, 12, 13, 14 people on our staff, and if you include all the gals working in the nursery right now. And God has done incredible things. We've never been healthier as a staff, and I have full confidence in them, and I have full confidence that we are going to continue to grow deep and wide. Over the past three months, we have grown by a third as a church. We have grown by 200 people. That is twice the size of an average Lutheran church in the country. And here's why I say that. Here's why I say that, because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. And we, we applaud that and we praise God for that because it's not about hope. It's about the kingdom. It's not about numbers. It is about people getting connected to Jesus. And that's uh, why we're excited about that. There's never been more small groups going on. There's never been more opportunities to serve. Brianna on our staff, who coordinates all of the hospitality on Sunday morning, told me that 150 people are actively serving on a monthly basis behind the scenes, not up here, but behind the scenes to make all this happen. And so many of you are a part of that, and we're blessed to have you do that. And so my encouragement to you, my expectation, my challenge to you is to not stop being the church, to worship regularly, to connect in community, to grow, take a class, get out of your comfort zone, be challenged, and then to serve. Don't stop serving. The people that have the most joy around here serve. And if you've been coming for a while and you're just like, yeah, this is great and I'm taking up a seat and everything like that, there's a lot of people that could use your seat. <laughs> I'll tell you that. We would love for you to plug in. We would love for you to serve. But don't stop inviting either. Don't stop being the church. I had some guy after Saturday night service last night that continues to grow come up. He's like, I have heard about Hope. I thought I'd check it out. So what kind of advertising do you guys do? You know, with Easter coming up, I'm sure you're sending out a lot of mailers and putting up posters all over the city, you know, and having one of those flyover airplanes, like, come to Easter at Hope, you know. Amanda's out on the street corner going, hey, you know, the billboard on. I don't know where that came from. Do you, do you want to know what kind of advertising we do? You. If you see Hope in the newspaper or on the TV ever, it's not because we asked for it. The only advertising we've ever done is you, being you, and being in relationship with the people around you that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home, and continuing to invite them. Relationship, relationship, relationship. 
I guarantee that most of you are here today is because somebody took the time to invite you. And now you have the opportunity. Yeah, praise God for that. And now you have the opportunity to do that for others. So I'm going to be here. I'm not leaving. I'm not hopping on a jet plane and leaving right now. Uh, I'll get in my beat up uh, CRV and drive off into the sunset. Um, I'm going to be here the next few weeks, and it's exciting. I'm going to be preaching the next three weekends, and I would love to see you here. God is going to do amazing things this summer, and it starts with this weekend. That's why Palm Sunday matters, is because it points to Easter. Because it points to Easter. Absolutely. Um, As you listen to John talk, and... uh, Um, As you think about the different things in your life, I know that it can be awkward to invite. I know that those few moments when you're letting people know, hey, you should come check this out, I know that that can be uh, strange. And um, so one thing that we're doing today, you heard us mention it during the announcements, but when you leave today, you're going to get a little plastic Easter egg, and it just has the service times for uh, Sunday, Saturday, and Sunday services, and for next weekend, for Easter Sunday and Saturday. And so... I don't know if we get worried that people are going to judge us when we invite them to church or if we're worried that people are going to think that we are judging them um, because they don't have a church home necessarily. But I think the really cool thing about this little plastic Easter egg is that there is nothing offensive about a little Easter egg. Everybody loves Easter eggs, right? And all you need to do is hand that over and say, hey, listen, this is just, uh, I want to invite you to my church on Sunday. We're doing some cool stuff. I think you'd like it. It's that simple. I, uh, a couple years ago, we did this two years ago when I was out at West Des Moines, and I think we probably did it here as well, had these little eggs, and uh, I had one in my car, and I was going through the Starbucks drive-thru because I do that entirely too often. Confession. And uh, anyway, so the young man who was working there, it was like Friday afternoon or Saturday morning or something, and he said, so you got plans for the weekend? It was Easter weekend, people. And I thought to myself, this kid needs this egg. So I said, yeah, actually I do. Uh, Let me hand this over. And he's like, well, we're not supposed to take stuff. And I said, just take the egg. And so, <laughs> so I gave him the egg because it occurred to me that this young man needed to know that there was something going on this weekend that was so much bigger than anything that he had planned already, right? So the opportunity with that little egg, you never know what it's going to do. You never know uh, who needs to know about the abundant life that Jesus has for us. It's not just about having a good day. It's not about having a good week. It is about knowing your foundation, knowing that the God who has been moving throughout eternity is advocating for you with death on a cross. It's everything. So the band's here, and we are going to sing Mighty to Save. Uh, It's a fan favorite. Um, And the words of the song, our Savior, he can move a mountain. Our God is mighty to save forever, forever, the author of salvation. That's worth singing about. And you know somebody who needs to know that message as well. I know you do. And so as we stand, I want you to think about worshiping Jesus. I want you to think about how God has proven himself mighty to save in your life. And I want you to think about who else needs to hear about abundant life. So please stand.